We hope you're ready for an exciting podcast because on this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Top Podcast, we actually have an elite, historic track and field race to break down for you. As American high scorer Leo Doshbuck has gone sub four in the mile. We'll talk about that and so much more, including the fact that the London Marathon is far from certain from taking place in 2020. The Ingebrigtsens will be running in the Impossible Games coming up. Des Linden has revealed that she has 19% body fat. Is that a key reason as to why she won Boston in 2018? Nick Simmons and Leo Connor have both gotten married. What's the best way to recover from your workouts? Have you been doing it wrong all these years by putting your hands behind your head? And last but not least, we found out that the Japanese college coaches live with their teams. Which NCAA coach would you most want to live in your college dorm? This week's podcast is brought to you by the Let's Run.com summer training program. Folks, it's coming out soon. John Keller, the great man, the one that inspired us to start this website, the one that took us from being terrible in high school, terrible in college, well, not us, my brother Weldon, to 2806 in the 10,000, helped pace two women's world records, helped dominate the Ivy League for 10 years, and so much more. He's coming out of retirement to help you train in high school, particularly for high schoolers and colleges. So check that out on the website in the weeks ahead. And also buy some shoes at the Let's Run Shoe site, letsrun.com slash shoes. Robert, you're selling yourself short. Helped you become the cross-country coach at Cornell University. We had a period of dominance. You guys are back and will be coaching. We've always loved the high schoolers at Let's Run. It's sort of it's where we fell in love with running. So... If you need some training plans for the summer or also you just want to get advice and you already have a training plan from your coach, we're going to have programs and plans for you. Welcome to the show, everybody. But let's get right down to it. We actually have new dad, Weldon Johnson here. Can't guarantee he's going to be here the whole show. So let's start with the big news of the week. Leo Doshbach, the high schooler from Arizona, has used a 56 final 400 to run 359.54 to break four in the mile, the 11th high schooler to do it, and the ninth fastest high schooler in history. Guys, is this big news or just ho hum, the ninth fastest high schooler in history? No, Robert. The big news was we actually had a race with high school kids in it. I mean, has there even been a race in America in the last 10 weeks? I mean, seriously. I mean, it's kind of crazy this thing even took place with all that's that's going on. But, like, the the the, the only race I know of in the last 10 weeks, a high school kid breaks sub four in the mile. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I think this would be a big story no matter what. And, yes, the high school sub four, it's losing its luster a little bit. We've had six of them in the last six years, which is compared to five in all of history before that. But to do it in quarantine when it's the only game in town... That takes it to a whole new level. I got to say, mad respect, not just to Leo Dosh, but to all the guys in this race for getting, going out there and training through this pandemic. I mean, no, they didn't know that they were going to have a race on the horizon. They could have easily just packed it in and said, hey, we're going to get ready for cross country in the fall. All of them kept working really hard and all of them were awarded with PRs. Cole Sprout, Thomas Boyden, they got PRs behind Dosh Bark and then Dosh Bark gets the 359. So, Huge credit to those guys. What I'm not so sure about is were they actually following social distance protocols out there? I mean, you have guys coming in from all over the Western United States to this venue, Are they allowed to be on this venue. I, I don't actually know 
if all these regulations were followed, but I do know it was a really awesome race and certainly entertaining to watch. Yeah, there's a lot of places we can go. I mean, one, I'm kind of, like you said, John, it's kind of shocking that these guys actually did it, but maybe it shows the importance of singular focus. There's nothing else at this meet going on. It's just like we're trying to go sub four. There's no other, I don't think there were any other events before. After it's like, so these kids for weeks, I'm sure they've been talking about it. We're like, this is all you're going to do. There's no excuse. Nothing else matters. Sub four. And Leo's the only one who did it. I mean, he had a fabulous last lap, but some of the other guys came pretty close, I think. I mean, a couple seconds. So I think that's one thing. In terms of breaking rules in California, I mean, California is about as strictly locked down as you can be. I kind of tried to look into this a bit. <laughs> Maybe you could stretch it and say it wasn't outlawed, but I'm pretty sure they, they broke some rules. But like, I think the race was held in an unincorporated area. You know, California's pushing to go to level two, but sporting events are not supposed to be held. But on the flip side of things, everything we're hearing about this disease is like kids, outdoor events. These are the things you'll be having. So I'm sure that if they weren't breaking the law in California, they could have done it somewhere else. And I think it would have been legal. So it's just as the country goes forward, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. The the other thing you also could argue is like it shows how unimportant running is because if any other sport did this and something as prominent as this happened, it would be written up. The Karens, John, I'm putting you in the Karen group. Is that the new term for the people who kind of cautious about this? They'd be all over this and there's been nothing. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Like it wasn't even picked up like the running outlets wrote about it and, and that's it. So no, it's, it's a good point. Weldon. imagine if the top basketball players in the country had like the McDonald's all American game and got together on some outdoor basketball court. A, it would be covered to death. B, people would freak out about it. And neither of those things happened with the quarantine classico, which is what this meet was called. Yeah. I mean, like UFC was going to have an event. What? I mean, it was, this is in the dead minute of the lockdown and no restrictions had been replaced on an Indian reservation in California and which is, you know, tribal lands. And the governor went crazy, called the head of ESPN and got the thing shut down. <laughs> this thing happened. And I was trying to Google the Sacramento. This is held outside of Sacramento. Sacramento newspaper, nothing on it. I mean, so, but that's kind of some of the cool things about running and the, the I don't know, the lore of running and why we all run. Like we all do it for own reasons. And we all can sort of relate to uh, just going out and doing your best. And if you're that good, if you're Leo Dorschbacher, you're a sub four minute miler. What did you call him, Weldon? Damn it, I knew that was going to be wrong. John, I, I, I'm not getting a lot of sleep. You didn't I got a new Or the second half, right? It's Dorschbach. You called him Leo Dorschbacher. <laughs> oh my god! All right, yeah, we'll 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 give we'll blame that one on the baby. There are other gaps in your knowledge that I'm not going to blame on the baby. But uh, Robert, do you want to talk about the actual race because it was pretty thrilling? I've been very quiet on this because I don't want to go off on the social distancing thing. I, I on COVID nineteen, I, I I'm going two ways. I want sports to come back, um, but I also think that in society to open up. But I think that we need to be very cautious about it. So every realistic precaution that we can take, we should. So like these guys were high fiving after the race and stuff. They shouldn't have been doing that, you know. I, but. I'm glad the event went off. I'm glad nobody shut it down. Um, but yes, I really want, I don't want to talk about COVID-19. I want to talk about the race. And I kind of led saying, ho hum, ninth fastest ever. I was incredibly impressed by this. Um, to be honest, John, I have a confession to make. 
here on the podcast. People know me. It's like where Rojo was right, where Rojo was wrong. I'm not afraid to share your opinion, but I'm also not afraid to admit that I was wrong. So much of society, people get mad at me for having an opinion because people want to hide themselves. They don't want to post anything controversial because they're afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to be wrong. When this race went through halfway in, what, 202, I posted on the live thread. I said, 202 for 800? You've got to be kidding me. It's like, I can't believe it's 1130 at night. I'm about wasting my time watching this. And then... Honestly, it actually reminded me of a race my first year of college coaching. The third lap went a little bit faster, and I was like, oh, my God. And then he just exploded over the final 200. And once he started leaving those other guys behind, I think he ran like 27 for the final 200. I'm like, he's got to be close to four because look how far back these guys are. So the way he did it was so impressive. I mean, 56 on the last lap. you know. And I called my mentor, my guru, John Kellogg, last night, and I was like, how often does somebody throw down something like that? I mean, a, a huge last lap. Obviously, um, you know, 11 guys have gone sub four, but I don't think 11 guys have gone anywhere close to doing it like this impressively with that big of a last lap. Obviously, Alan Webb has 55 last lap in that 353 mile. Jim Ryan also, I think, ran a 55 in, at the Kansas State meet when he did it in the high school only race. So he's not Jim Ryan or Alan Webb. But if you look at that high school list, I'm putting him third or fourth right after them. This was certainly one of the most impressive sub fours. And Robert, you know, you said you're not afraid to admit when you're wrong. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm right. And if people listened to this podcast last week, you asked, is anyone going to break four at this thing? You guys kind of laughed. No, we're in quarantine. No way. I went out there. I said it was going to happen and it did happen. So just... Credit where credit is due. But I agree. This So watching this race, I was thinking the same thing that you were, Robert. I was like, they're going through. It was like 8.09 and 2.02, I think. So a little closer to even pace, but still behind. I was like, they can't even get through the first half of this thing on pace. I was like, what's going on? But then that third lap, they got right back into it, Robert. And when they were hitting the bell, the one thing I was thinking is Dashbuck, He's really an 800-1500 guy. You know, he he's ran really well in cross country last fall, one of the fastest f- high school 5Ks ever on a cross country course. But earlier this spring, you know, he'd run 403 in a mile time trial and then he ran 149.9 for an 800, which would have been an Arizona state record if it was official. So, that to me, I was thinking, man, this guy out of all of them, like Dashbach, he's the guy who can really kick and I've seen too many high school races to count where they go through three laps in about 303 or 302 or something, and then they just can't hold it because running that last lap sub-60 and well under 60, which Josh Buck had to do, is really tough. But once he got moving on the back straight, I was like, wow, this guy's got a lot of run left. And that's that sort of move is the thing you want to see. That's a tool that not a lot of people have to be able to close that fast off an already fast pace. So very excited to see what happens with Doshbach the the rest of his career in in college he certainly has a bright future did anyone else sort of i don't know kind of shake their head and go oh of course andy powell got him i didn't shake my head i don't know why i would sh- like andy's a good guy i was just impressed but no I- like uh, andy powell people thought oh oregon's getting all these top recruits i mean he coached what like all the, these top milers centralwitz that sort of stuff 
And now he moves on to Washington. They d- they've never had the pedigree of the University of Oregon. They don't have Phil Knight behind them. He's one of the top mid-distance coaches in America. And you're like, is he going to be able to get the top kids? And so, you know, once I see he breaks sub four, I'm like, oh, where's he going to college? And I'm like, wow, nice pickup. And also when you're recruiting, like, it's hard distinguishing talent, right? There's a couple guys who can run 404, 402. But the guy who can kick 56 and win it, you may not be able to spot that. So it's just a great pickup for Andy Powell all along. along. You're going to expect big things from them. But, you know, at, at, at the same time, I guess Andy Powell had a big sub four, one of the last, sub, maybe the last sub four guy. No, not Matthew Maiden. He wasn't the last one, but, you know, he he, he hasn't. Reed Brown, even, he was the last one. So, well, then, I know Robert always says I'm like some, in, I'm in the bag for Andy Powell. I'm not in the bag for him. I just think he's a good coach. Obviously, he's a very good recruiter because you look at the guy's, so I looked at this sub four list. It's pretty amazing how many of them committed to Oregon when Andy Powell was there. So number one, Alan Webb didn't. He went to Michigan. Jim Ryan went to Kansas. That was obviously well before Andy Powell's time. Number three, Drew Hunter committed to Oregon, but ended up turning pro. Reed Brown committed to Oregon. Matthew Mayton committed to Oregon. Leo Doshbach going to Washington. Lucas Vosbikas committed to Oregon. So it's pretty. He's got one, two, three, four, five, five of the high school guys who committed, who uh, broke four committed there. And then right now on the roster, they have Sam Tanner. He's a guy who broke four as a high school last year in New Zealand. And they've also got Cruz Culpepper coming in, who's the son of Alan and Shane Culpepper and ran four flat this year indoors. So obviously they're doing a good job recruiting. You've got to be able to turn that into points in NCAAs and that sort of thing. But yeah, Andy Powell has a thing for recruiting fast milers. Can we stop the Andy Powell infomercial? My God. And, and, and wow, he can produce good results. I mean, who wouldn't produce good results when you get all the sub four guys? But let's talk about that list. Only three guys have gone sub three fifty nine, and to me, I know he was third third to the slowest at three fifty nine five four. But I'm putting him ahead of all these other three fifty nine guys just because he ran a fifty six last lap. I don't think any of these other three fifty nines ran a fifty six last lap. He's not Alan Webb. He's not Jim Ryan. But he's probably a better miler than Drew Hunter. Um, so, you know, it will be interesting to see what he can do. I think Andy is a good coach. I'm excited he's got good hands. Um, but I, I like to see, you know, I, I want to see a, a bunch of powers. I don't want it just to be Oregon, Washington, whatever. I'm, I'm looking to see Vinland Anna pick up some big guys at UVA and, and have some, you know, the ACC is going to be crazy. Milton Berg's starting to get some of those Stanford guys coming down for fifth years. Thomas Ratcliffe and uh, Alex Osberg, they're going down to North Carolina. So they're, they're starting to get better. Is Thomas Radcliffe already a fifth year? Next year. Next year he'll be a fifth year, yeah. It's because he, he got injured a lot in college, at Stanford, so you kind of forgot about him. But remember, fall of 2016, he was like top 10 at Pac-10s or Pac-12 as a true freshman. This free agency is kind of driving me nuts. I mean, it's so easy to jumpstart a program now and just get a fifth-year guy from all the Ivy Leaguers that can't compete, etc. But, guys, let's talk about the top of the list. Do you know what today is? Today is the 19th anniversary of Alan Webb's 353 mile. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Nothing gets by you. Of course, I did put up on yesterday in the main, where the quarter of the day normally goes, I put up the video of the day, a day early, Alan Webb's video of the 353 mile. And what I put underneath it was a, a link to his workout. Somehow I came across Julia Webb, his wife's blog, because Alan Webb and Julia have a blog on WordPress. Um, and... It talked about a, a workout that Webb did 10 days before he ran his historic 353 mile. And 
I had kind of forgotten about this. It actually was like the discussion all over Let's Run in 2001 in the early days. Because at this district meet, talk about this double. I mean, we're impressed that Dostbach has a 149 in a time trial. Webb did the following in the span of 80 minutes. He started off by running a 406-1600, but it just wasn't a normal 406-1600. The first half was running 214. He let the field gap him. They went out pretty hard, actually, by like 50 meters. Then he threw down a 152 second half. Then he ran the open four in 49-29. And then he ran the 800 in a negative split 149-53. So he's running all this stuff and then destroying Doshback's 800-meter time. And, and Doshback's an 800-meter guy. This is insane. And this journalist Pearl Watts saw it at the time and predicted that he sort of thought that Webb would break Jim Ryan's legendary 355 record. So I called up John Kellogg last night, and he's recently moved here to Baltimore, so I'm seeing him a lot more. And I said, what did you think of this workout from Webb? He's like, oh, it was incredibly impressive. And I also asked him about Doshbox. He said, very, very, very impressive. Um, but he said at the time, he remembers 2001, he didn't think Webb would do it. He was still surprised that Webb ran 353. But, um, you know... I asked Kellogg, what do you think the best guys in the world would close in? You know, Webb is closing a 214 and 152. And he reminded me of some of the best closes in history. They're ridiculous. Let's, let's, let's quiz John a little bit here. John, first of all, do you know what pace the for 800, the 1500 meter world record is? The 1500 meter world record. Uh, I'd say about... 150.5 or something like that. It's close, just under 150. So it's like 149. So you got to be able to run, you know, 149 the whole way. I mean, I, I think um, I, I was looking at the, uh, you know, Olympic final. Well, John said basically, look, he's like the best guys in the world can close in 146 off of a slow pace. And then he reminded me of a post that he had made, or I think it was an article we wrote, I think in 2012 or 2016. Anyways, the fastest final 800s of a 1500 that, that he can think of. Abde Bile, way back in 1987 at the Worlds, closed in 146.0. Now, this wasn't a slow race, though. It was a 336.8 race. Rio Silva also closed in 146 in a 334 race. That was to get the bronze. And then Hisham al when he won his gold in 2004, he ran 146 of that same race um, to run 334. So Bernard Lagat, also everyone, the top three in all the 2004 Olympics ran 146 in a 334 race to get first, second, and third. So, you know, you compare that to Centrowitz. Centrowitz was, um, it was a 350 race, but he was, I think, just under 150 in that race, but it was all pretty much the last lap. I mean, I think he was, what, 50? 50.6, I want to say, last lap, something like that. 50.61, I think it was just under 59 high on, on the next to last lap. So really just the last lap, but, you know, still incredibly impressive stuff. You know, Robert, you're talking about 2001, Alan Webb. So it's interesting. After we did the I did the video conference with Alan and with Dathan Ritzenheim with Ryan Hole last week, which you guys should all check out if you haven't already. But I got an email from a reader. Wait, John, you got to plug your stuff a little bit better. That was fabulous, man. In case you guys don't know, we had the big three. Alan Webb, Dathan Ritzenhain. Oh, man, I'm tired. <laughs> Who's the third member of the big three? <laughs> Who'd I say? I'm loaded with Ryan Hall. All on one podcast, all on a video thing. So it's a, if you look in the podcast archives, it's last week's podcast. 
Andrew's yeah. video of it, John, it was great. It was tremendous. One of the best things I've heard in Let's Run. Oh, maybe since the week before when we had Dina Castor, American Goat. Oh, the week before that, Jim Ryan. Great stuff in the podcast archives if you guys are looking for some great content. Well, any, anyway, I was get, my point was how good 2001 Alan Webb was. Because obviously that workout, uh, workout slash races that he did at his district meet was insane. And the 353 by itself is crazy. But I got an email from a reader and he was like, I watched back that, his 353. And he was like, he, do you realize how close he was to Lagarde? Lagarde got third, 353.14. Alan Webb was fifth, 353.43. Now, granted, not everyone brings their best race every single time out. Guys, do you know what Bernard Lagarde ended up running for 1,500 meters later that year? This is almost prime Lagarde. Maybe a couple years before prime Lagarde, but like 328. 326.34. Second fastest man in history. Alan Webb almost beat him as an 18-year-old. Just insane to me. But yeah, John, let's talk a little about the, about the bonus podcast we dropped between our, our normal podcasts. When you had Ritz Hall and Webb on there, I listened to it and, and I loved it because the thing that most inter- I was I loved the most was how they were asking each other questions. They're students of the sports, they're coaches now. They had the same questions that I had, you know, or some of the same questions, and they wanted to know this and that. And they had a lot of similar experiences about getting the best out of your body, kind of wondering, well, what would you do if it was a paced race? And maybe they wouldn't do well in a paced race. Um, I just thought it, it was really, really, um, you know, fascinating on so many levels. What I thought was interesting, Robert, is Alan Webb. This is a guy who's run 346 for the mile, which is just ridiculous time. No one on planet Earth has run faster since he ran that time in 2007. Yet he can't understand Ryan Hall running 59.43. He's like, I watched that race. You're just clicking off like 433s, 434s. How'd you do it? And I'm like, how'd you go out and run like 55s, man? Like people are, these these accomplishments, they're like just as insane. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting to see him. Like he can't fathom a 59.43, but I think a lot of people can't fathom a 346. But John, that would be my one criticism of your podcast. You keep, I mean, just like you're all over Andy Powell, you keep sort of exaggerating the greatness of the 346. I'm not saying it's not great, but let's convert that to a 1500. It's not plenty of guys have run faster than that in the equivalent in the 1500 since then. You act like he put up a time that nobody in human, that no human has run. Yes, they, plenty of them have run it recently in the 1500. Just the mile. I don't know. I guess I'm drawn in by the nostalgia and mystique of the mile, Robert. But and you're right. When I hear three forty three forty six is basically like a three thirty, right? So when I hear it, I shouldn't be as impressed. But I am. I don't know three forty six. If it's so easy to do, why doesn't someone else go and do it? It's sort of shocking. It hasn't been done. Like it pre or something. I see this debate both ways. But. Maybe with COVID-19, with all these challenges, somebody could throw some money out there. We'll just <laughs> The Kenyan runners are hurting. We'll be like, all right, here's 10 grand. Put up a camera on a track and go edit. No, the biggest thing that Robert has to support his point is Yomif Kajelcha, a 10K guy, decided he wanted to run a fast mile last year and ran 347.01. You know, that, so if he can do that, yes, Timothy Chariot can go out and run 345 or 346. And using John Kellogg's 1.0802 conversion, the 346.91 does convert to 330.07. So, yeah, plenty of people have run faster than that. Let's talk about why a lot of people haven't done it. And I'll get into this. And I got a little bit of flack 
by a few people on Let's Run. I put, I started a thread saying, should there be a tiny asterisk next to Doshbox? Mile time, because it, I, someone on the message board pointed out, pointed out, look, these guys started in lanes. And they don't normally do that in miles. And, you know, based on my reading of the rule book, it may have been an indoor rule book. And I'm looking at the world athletics, not the high school rule book. You're not supposed to start in lanes for a mile. But that's one of the reasons why people don't run faster in the, in the mile. I've been saying for years they should start in lanes, particularly at pre. You line 20 of the world's best milers up, 9 meters from a turn. They have to fight for position, and then they're all obviously almost all of them are going to run way extra ground. And I put a screenshot of the first turn up. Some of these guys are running probably half the field is in the middle of lane 2 for the first turn, so you're running a lot of extra distance, plus you're fighting each other. So run yeah, the first turn. So then you want. Like you're getting out really, really hard, maybe running – 13 seconds or something for that first 100 when you don't want to. Yeah, and by the way, can we uh, watching the Allen Webb 346 race, can we talk about how bad the rabbiting, we're talking about getting out. It's amazing that race ended up being historic. The rabbiting was so bad. Those guys went out in like, what, 52 seconds or something? A little crazy. So, and Webb though, he went out in dead last. It was so impressive. And then just started picking people up, picking people up, and then just slammed oh, that. You're talking about pre classic. This is not the three four. I was like, why are you talking the, talking about the three forty six? You mean the two thousand one pre classic? Yes, I watched that. The one thing I was thinking, I'm like, oh my god, they do this these days in the Diamond League. Like they've been doing this for years. The rabbit in the fifteen hundred has been way ahead, and no one wants to go with him. I don't think he was that far ahead, Robert. Wasn't it like I thought he came through in fifty five, and they, they no one just followed him. It was fifty two. No. Yeah, fifty two or fifty three. Oh. It's way too fast. Well, the announcers, the announcers got it wrong then because they said he hit he hit the time he was supposed to. Maybe he hit it for eight hundred. For eight hundred, okay. Down one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. We started with the positive news. Let's go to some negative news. Hugh Brasher. Bracia. It's pronounced Bracia. We got a proper Brit upset with my announcing. I mean, his dad is an Olympic steeplechase champion. It's fair, like I learned this in an early age, I would think it was pronounced Brasha, but it's you learn in, in Britain coming up, it's Bracia. So, just setting the record straight. Okay, Hugh Bracher, Ajay Wilson, Shailene Flanagan. No, you said Shailene. You're still doing it, Robert. I know I'm a nerd about this stuff. Anyway, I don't. So, what did I mispronounce about Shailene Flanagan's name? How do you say it? it's Shailene, not? Shay Lane. Shay Anyways, the London Marathon director, Mr. Brosher. <laughs> was that on purpose or was that because you forgot? I'm having trouble saying it. It's right. Brasher, right? Brasher and Dorschbacher. I mean, okay. it's, yeah. Anyways, he has, a, he has sent a letter out to the entrance to this year's race and admitted that this year's race is far from certain. And if there was anyone that was going to hold this, their, their race this year, I was, was assuming it was going to be London. I still think that they're the most likely to hold an elite-only race. More likely than New York, even though New York... Oh, yeah. Had... And to hold an elite-only race. So if, if they can't hold a mass race, say, oh, well, at least we'll do the pros. Yeah. Because um, they have a ton of money. But I really want something to happen in the fall. But I'm not going to lie, you know, I, I am concerned about... We talked about it in last week's regular podcast. I said, look... To me, it's simple. You have to test everybody. And if you can't, maybe what I didn't make clear was, if you can't test everyone, then I don't think you hold the mass race. So hopefully the testing improves, virus dies down. But 
I'm not very optimistic about these events happening, but we have still have a lot of time. You know, I think that if some of these other sporting events, some schools start opening up, people may be a little bit more confident. But the thing that scares me is, you know, they're saying the more you get exposed to the virus, like the heavy breathing, the choir practice, that's a lot worse than, than sitting next to, a, you know, on a plane with someone who's not talking. This choir practice in Washington State has become the Alberto Salazar of this podcast. I feel like we mention it every single week. I'm a, I'm pretty much like a COVID expert now, you know. Um, but yeah, the you, choir practice. All of your writing has been replaced with COVID knowledge, yeah? yeah are we going to talk about uh, who won the NCAA cross country? We'll get to that well then. But anyway, no, I, I was optimistic this week about races coming back. I was reading something about... You know, the duration of exposure matters and the intensity. That's what people are thinking. Obviously, outdoor exposure is considered very minimal risk. So, and duration. So, like, they are not finding a lot of supermarket people are getting it. You know, it's more like being enclosed with one person for a long time. So if you line a bunch of people up at a race, start them off. Sure, the problem with running is that they're breathing heavier. But you're really not around that many people. You could space them out more. You could have maybe have a ten thousand person race. You're around thirty or forty thousand people. Well, then that's no, you're not. Exception. You're around. You're around the immediate people okay, around okay, you. That's the, true. The but... wind is blowing. That sort of stuff. There's not a lot of duration with a bunch of people. So you're. They're only. Have you ever been in a marathon starting corral? Well, then. I would say you'd space out a little more. That's something you could do there, right? You could have a mask on there because they're also measuring these things. At the choir practice, no one's wearing a mask. You could start, everybody could wear the thing at the start, take them off at the run, have a little more spacing. Like, I think there's you ways need we a can lot have races. Of space for 30,000 people. That's like. I said, maybe we do 10, maybe we do 10,000. I think you'd have to, to have any sort of mass element. I started trying to do the math and then, like, if you space everyone, because also, like, we have six feet in certain countries, three feet in other countries. If you space everyone three feet out and, you know, like eight across the road, you go back pretty far. It's like miles. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think Weldon, Weldon's got a good point here in the sense of uh, you could really change things up. You know, the, the people are trying to have like, oh, let's open up society. Well, we, we still need to take huge precautions like wear a mask, make everybody wear a mask for the first mile or something like that. Weldon says you're not around people, but you could be running the whole race surrounded by the same five people. Now, you're not going to be around 30,000 people. But, you know, the wind's blowing. I, I do think there's a, there's a risk there. But, yes, you space – I, I would space them way out. Like, have it go all day long. I mean, I, I get – Yeah, that's an option. Robert, I go to the grocery store. I'm in Connecticut. Last state shut down. It was way more crowded. They've reduced restrictions. There's probably a couple hundred people in the grocery store at any moment. Now, granted, not that many around me. But at any point, there's a couple people around me, definitely probably within six feet. So grocery not breathing that is heavy. necessary. You need to get food. Running is a luxury. Well, then agreed. Agreed. But the point is with these fleeting contacts, are you getting it? So, uh, oh, I, I've got a big announcement, guys. I, I went to a restaurant last night. Eat in. Was they what was the situation? Say, what's the specifics? Yeah, outdoor restaurant. I was shocked. My town has seating for three people and. Three tables. Well, they actually, then they set some up on the sidewalk and there's maybe five tables and we were shocked. Like we were able to get a seat. Nice. M- me, the, the, the wife. Um, Did you get a babysitter? My or sister-in-law? No, the baby, the baby. And oh man, I hope, hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. She was worried. She felt people were judging because there was a baby at this situation. I'm like, we're outdoors. Everything says this is great. We saw a neighbor who drove up the post offices right there and kind of gave us a salute. I, I'm like, oh, this guy's applauding us. He thinks this is awesome. You know, we're out, we're back. Like America's back, baby. It was just an eye-opening experience. I'd been a gr- restaurant in ten weeks, maybe more. I mean, was it, was there a waitress or waiter? Were they wearing a mask? 
Yeah, they had. So it was outdoors. So yeah, the wait. You know, the guy even came and brought you bread and water. They had that guy and the waiter. They had a mask on, but they were kind of above us, leaning over. We did not have mask on once we sat down. So. But that's the thing. Outdoor seating is allowed in Connecticut, right? Like, there's different precautions. But well, I think there's a way. For, for sure, people – I posted on Let's Run this week. We can link to this thread. Are there any races going on? And people are like, hey, there's going to be a race so-and-so. They're going to have a start off. 100-person wave starts, and they're going to do three of those. So we, we'll learn from these things. But I don't – I think there's ways possibly this could be happening. If you want something to happen, you have to think about how it can happen, not how it can't happen. Because that's the problem with a mass – Shut down. People are very fearful coming back. Yeah, I, I think the outdoor seating is like a hundred times more safe than, than indoor seating. So you know, I'm, I'm not even worried about that. First, I was I got, horrified. I got bad to... news though for the former sponsor of the Let'sRun.com. The indoor marathon at the Armory that probably won't be happening. Well, maybe by then, by February, they might have a vaccine. Anyways, also the I, I just put this up on the website. The Hockey Run Distance Challenge. This is a two-week thing from July 4th to July 18th in Japan. They've announced it will go on. There are going to be some modifications. They're going to focus on the elite, so maybe they're not going to have as many people. But like, they're not going to run the 10,000 for some reason. So their people said, oh, the 10,000, you're running too close to each other for too long. But they're going to let them run the 5,000. Wait, what is this? Some big distance. Kind of. It sounds like this. I don't know what it is. The Hockey Run Distance Classic. It goes on for two weeks, apparently. In Japan. Oh, in Japan? It sounds like it's like the Stanford Distance Classic, but for some reason it lasts two weeks long. Lost two weeks? That sounds boring as hell. And also, like, are, are people, like, racist? In, in America, we only look to, like, white cultures. Like, Sweden is the model for not anti-lockdown. Japan is the model. Like, people need to figure out what's going on in Japan. Because they're, like, the number one. People talk about Germany. No, no, no. Japan is the number one COVID success story in America in the world, it seems like. What about New Zealand? I read New Zealand. They have zero... They're basically down to zero at this point, right? Yeah, but that's a tiny island. You keep everybody off, so. But uh, isn't point, Japan John. an island too, John? But it's not a it's tiny. About, uh, it's like a hundred or a thousand islands, but yes, it's a bigger. And island. I, I assume Japan has more flights to China, that sort of stuff. All right, I want to bring up something. Trivia question for you guys: Who won the NCAA cross country championships last fall? Men and women. John posed this somehow. This came up right before the podcast started, and my response was, "I'm pretty sure we didn't have an NCAA cross country championship. Pretty sure that was during the lockdown. I mean, there's been no sporting events, and I didn't even remember an NCAA cross country championship." I asked the question as I was preparing to start the podcast because I came up with a topic, and I'll bring up that topic in just a second. But I said, "Who won it?" My brain was—I'm still waking up. And then John's like, "Well, who it's won?" It's almost it's ten fifty eight a.m. right now, people. John, my brain couldn't even think of any uh, any any NCAA teams. Like, I couldn't think of teams. This is some quotes from the guys. Robert, I don't even know what schools are good. Rojo, I forgot NAU had a team. Weldon, BYU didn't win, did they? Uh, they actually did. Weldon, BYU were your champions. I don't know how Robert could forget. It was a miserable cold day. I was frigid and frozen and totally soaked by the end of it but BYU upset NAU is really exciting do, do either of you guys know who won the women's race can you tell me right now yeah BYU and, and Wayne Equality I mean the team champions Robert oh, Arkansas that was, very good very good yeah I said BYU I was thinking the BYU woman win at first I was literally thinking BYU woman they almost won they got second it was very close but um, 
don't know. I hope I'm not fired for this insubordination, but I did oh, find it. I found it John, amusing that John. You know, the reason the why this can. The reason why this happens is John works a cush nine to five job. He doesn't really have any responsibilities. He clocks in, clocks out. With a paternity leave, I'm up to like one a.m. working hard, finding these links for people who don't pay for anything and, and, and t- t- turn on their ad blockers. So it, it's tough. It's just wearing me down a little bit. Anyways, the reason why I, I asked you that is I put up an article on the website, I think two days ago. Did you guys see this? In Japan, a legendary coaching, there's, there's a legendary coach named Yoshiyuka Aoba. This guy's been like the, he's been running the corporate academy, I mean, the, the main academy in Japan. So the, I think the big collegiate academy, he's been in charge of it for the last 20 years. He won a bunch of like Hakon Ekadens, or he, I'm not sure what Ekadens, but he won a ton of Ekadens. He's a famous coach. You know, he's getting back into the coaching game at age 77. He hasn't coached in 20 years. He says, screw it. I'm getting back in the game. And I was reading this article from Brett Lorner, although I guess that's not really the proper way to phrase it. I, I did, People forget this. Brett Lorner, most of those articles he doesn't write. He's translating an article that was written in Japanese. So somebody else wrote the article, Brett translated it. But I wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for Brett of Japan Running News. And I'm reading this article, and in the bottom it says, this guy's going to live with the, the athletes. I'm like, what? Is this normal? Do the, do the Japanese coaches normally live with their athletes? And the, apparently the answer is yes, it is normal for the Japanese academic coach in college to live with the athletes. So the reason why I was asking this, John, is let's go to the list. Imagine if this happened in America. Which college coach would you most want let's look at the top 10 coaches from last year would you most want living with your team I mean if you're a college student which 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 college would this be the biggest sacrifice for I I've thought of one college where it would actually might work but I can't think of any others where it would be a good idea oh I'm looking at these I think there's a couple where it could work so I feel like Mike Smith vibes pretty well with the NAU guys I feel like that wouldn't be a big issue uh let me see. Notre Dame, Sean Carlson, he's still pretty young. I think you could see him chilling with those. Ed Eyestone, I mean, I know he's a lot older, but he went to BYU. They're all part of that Mormon culture. Maybe I'm sounding ridiculous, but I don't think, you know, obviously it'd be kind of weird, but I think the funny ones, I'd love to see Martin Smith live with the uh, Iowa State team. Wetmore with Colorado would be really interesting as well. Um, I don't know. Those are. Those are my thoughts for the men's side, at least. What does that mean? Live with them like they're in the same dorm or like same building or like same house. My bet is they have some dorm and they've got like slightly nicer digs or something. Like there's an actual apartment type thing. That'd be my guess, but I don't know if if it's just a regular dorm. It sounds like a terrible arrangement. Well, I just was thinking. I guess most of the top teams are pretty locked in, but back in the day, those Arkansas boys like to like to throw down a few beers and stuff afterwards. Maybe the team's a little bit more focused now, but this could be a real problem. I mean, yeah, you say the coaches are younger, but then the kids, you know, they're going to go out. Coach sees you come home late, you know. I mean, I, I was thinking the easiest would be BYU because of the Mormon culture. These kids aren't even drinking caffeine. They're not even having Cokes. Now, I was saying that, but then, um, you know, on the women's side, maybe I was thinking the coaches don't want to see the athletes drinking. But – for the women's side, for BYU, it could be the opposite. You, Coach Taylor, how do you say her first name, John? Diljeet. Diljeet. She's not Mormon. 
So the athletes may see her throw back a Coke or something and be horrified. So, you know, I'm not sure. I was thinking BYU, they live a clean lifestyle, you know. I'm curious about the rules there. If you're like, if you're not Mormon, but you're on BYU's campus, is that like, are you not allowed to have caffeine or alcohol or do you have to abide by all the rules? And then once you get off campus, you're good. I, I honestly, I probably sound totally ignorant here, but I'm sure we have one listener who knows about BYU. Maybe they could let us know. Yeah, no caffeine, no alcohol. They can have pork though, right? Yeah, they can have bacon. I think so. That's the Jews that can't have. Uh, I know. On pork. next week's podcast, we're going to rank the religious, the more um, I don't know if extreme, the more diligent religious movements and restrictions. We're going to rank them in order, one through ten. Coming yeah, up, Ra- Ramadan I think is going to be tough to beat, but uh, we'll we'll get to it. <laughs> okay, I've got some stuff. We might, we haven't had a thread of the week, and I was looking here at the top threads the last week, and I think there's this is a way to sort of run through some news that. We can kind of get through. I don't have to go through all these in order. First of all, congrats. Once again, Robert Johnson started the number one thread of the week. Did the Olympic Channel just unknowingly reveal how Des Linden and Yuki won 2018 Boston? Des has a 19.6 body fat percentage. Robert, this thread clearly showed Robert still has his controversial fastball. He knows how to court controversy on the message boards better than anyone. Wow, controversial fastball, John. That's a beautiful term. That was broadcasting at its finest. What do you mean? I've been in charge of the homepage, and that's why the quality has gone up in the last few weeks. But I'll be reading articles, and some of the articles are kind of boring. Like This was some Olympic Channel feature on Des. It was really boring. I started watching it there in the background as I was looking for links one night. And then I couldn't I – I saw them doing some sort of scan of her. I said, oh, my God, they're not going to do a body fat scan of a woman, are they? And sure enough, Des was like, yeah, go ahead. And – I had wondered this since the moment that race ended. I thought to myself, the thighs of Dez and Yuki look a little bit bigger than the average elite runner. And I thought, could that mean that they have a higher body fat percentage? And could that higher body fat percentage aid them in such a bone-chilling cold race? And that makes sense, right? Higher fat percentage helps you in cold days. And then when her body fat percentage comes out as 19%, they said the average elite women's marathoner is 12%. Uh, you know, it certainly supported what I thought but was afraid to ask about beforehand. And kudos to Des to not having a problem with it. I mean, she let the scan be done. I put out a tweet asking this question. Some woman on Twitter was like, this needs to stop. And Des is like, no, th- th- there's nothing. We, we can't just, you know, this is a legitimate question. And let the debate go. And I'm actually... This is actually, to me, a positive. This is saying you don't have to be rail thin. You don't have to be abnormally thin. You don't have to be anorexic to be an elite runner. This should be an uplifting story. Yuki and Dez. We don't know about Yuki, but Dez. I would love to see Yuki get his body fat percentage done as well. Right, Robert. And I think the problem some people had with it, some people are just upset anytime you talk about a woman's body. They're just going to be like, get rid of this. But I think the problem more people had was the way your tweet was phrased. It seemed as if you were assigning credit essentially solely because of her body fat percentage. And you were overlooking the fact that she's always run well in Boston. She was second that she was, no, she's a great runner and all the, everything she went that went into that race. I think that's what people were mad is that you were overlooking that and focusing only on this one aspect. Obviously she's an elite runner. If you're not an elite runner, you can't win. It should have said a small reason or a key reason instead of saying, I said, does, does it, do they unru- 
unknowingly reveal how Des and Yuki won. But um, I do believe probably without that, they probably, well, I don't know. I mean, somebody had to win the women's race. Second place was 245. So as long as you didn't drop out. Well, I mean, Shalane Flanagan and Molly Huddle didn't drop out. They were even slower than that. It was, it was a tough day for everyone. So did you say Des chimed in on Twitter and said this is perfectly reasonable discussion? Well, she didn't quite say it like that, but she told the person to back off. Yeah, I agree. Like, fine. It's not the sole reason, but I think it's worth relating. In super cold weather, the people with higher better, body, better ugh, body fat run better. It seems like they would. It just sort of seems commonsensical. But. Well, that was one of the discussions after the race because fewer elite women dropped out than elite men. Or fewer, I think it was fewer women overall dropped out than men. And one of the reasons was, well, some people were saying, are women inherently tougher? And other people were saying, well, maybe it's just they have a higher percentage of body fat, and so they're better prepared to run the cold. I think it's a reasonable discussion. And I don't know, if any exercise physiologist, please um, give us, shoot me an email, Robert, at Let's Run. You know, Yuki's already admitted that he's a terrible hot weather runner. So if you have a higher body, and we don't even know that he I, I I'm speculating that he has a higher body fat percentage than the average elite male. I don't know that. But would that also cause you to not run well in the heat? By the way, guys, I gave out my email. But remember, this is probably one of the few podcasts in the world, one of the few websites in the world. You can actually reach us by picking up the phone. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. You can't reach Facebook. You can't reach Twitter. But you can reach letsrun.com. Speaking of Des... The tip jar is open at the bottom. 100% of the tips go to Jonathan Galt. She gave Jonathan Galt a $50 tip. $50 tip. Well, can you check that? Because I, I did get a call. I forgot to tell John this. I got a call from a guy from Australia this week. And podcast listener. Uh, uh, don't have his name in front of me. Now, he, I think he was mistaken about one thing. Because he said he used to race John Kelly all the time back in the day in Virginia. I don't think John Kelly's ever raced in Virginia. So he must have my John Kelly confused with another man. But um, big runner back in the day. He said he has not set foot in the United States for 25 years. But the great President John, the man that you love, Donald Trump, has sent him a $1,200 stimulus check. I'm kidding, folks, about John. He's not a Trump fan. But anyways, this guy's like, I got a $1,200 check from, from the government in the U.S., so I'm feeling generous. I want to give it some of it to John Gellert. So did John get a $1,200 tip? Well, then I don't think he was implying he was giving it all. And I think there was a max of only $50 in the tips. We need to bump that up in case somebody yeah, wants to Yeah, take the cap off the max, Walden. Well, he could do $50 per month. That would be $600. We can probably negotiate a way to get the full $1,200. Well, I feel like or, that's also, I don't know, if someone wants to donate any of their stimulus check, that should probably go to people in need. I would say give half of that to some sort of COVID relief effort. You know, I don't... I'm not hurting compared to, you know, a lot of people in this country. The true humanitarian, humanitarian Jonathan Galt. Anyway, let, let's talk about some more running, guys. Impossible Wait. games. Or oh, Weldon, you want to keep going with your list of threads here? No, Impossible games is good. That's one of the things. We, yeah, we need to keep talking about theories, and the threads is a way to do it. But that was not on the top threads because that's just now being talked about but let's let's hear it that news broke yesterday but yeah it came out yesterday really exciting so we already knew that the meet formerly known as the bizlet games that now rebranded as the impossible games normally the oslo diamond league it's happening on june 11th it's going to look a lot different from usual but they're coming out with a bunch of creative ideas to try to keep the incitement around Carsten Warholm's going for the 300 meter hurdles world record 
They've got the Ingebrigtsen signed up. And now we've learned we have a showdown between probably the two greatest training groups in terms of milers in the world, the Ingebrigtsen's and Rongai Athletics Club in Nairobi, fronted by Timothy Chariot. They've actually they've called this team Chariot, even though uh, Timothy, I don't think he has a brother or sister who trained with them, whereas the Manigoys have two. They've got Elijah and George. But anyway, the format is this. It's a 2,000-meter race. The Ingebrigtsen's will be running it in Oslo, and Chariot, Elijah Manningoy, both the last two world champs in the 1500 and a couple unnamed teammates will be doing the same thing in Nairobi. They'll be trying to do it simultaneously. They'll be broadcasting it split screen. And the team with the lowest combined time of their top three entrants wins. And Robert has a sick and disgusted look on his face. And I think it's probably due to the fact that Nairobi is at altitude and Oslo isn't. Is this your issue here, Robert? I'm just... There's certain things I just don't understand. I put this up and it's been a day and I still don't understand it. This seems like the dumbest thing ever. People are all excited about it. Ingebrigtsen versus Chariot. First of all, I wish it was called Manangoy because I wish both Manangoys were in there. Anyways, but how is this possibly going to work? How how can somebody running at 6,800 feet? I know the Kenyans are pretty damn good. feet. How in the hell are they expected to beat somebody at sea level, John? That should be like a five or six, that should be like a seven second wipeout. Well, have you learned nothing from our recent podcast? Jim Ryan, all right, Kip Kano ran 334 at 8,600 feet in Mexico City. Now, was it 7,300 feet? It was, I think it was 7,300 feet. Anyway, our whole debate about that was the, if you're training and based at altitude year-round, you're probably not going to be as affected. Well, you're not going to be as affected, but you're going to be affected. Is this a level playing field? No. But is Timothy Cherryar a lot better than these guys? Yes. Elijah Manningoy at his prime, was he a lot better than... We don't know if he's at that level right now, but I'm saying it could still be a race. Is it completely fair? No. But it, could it still be fun? Could the Chariots... What if the Team Chariot wins? They can just say, you know, suck on this. We beat you guys and we were racing at altitude. That's like just a total baller move right there. I thought perhaps they were doing it. I'm still not sure. Is one of the Ingebrigtsen's trying to run... A 1,000 meter time trial, like a few hours before this, so he's going to be tired. So they, they were doing this to try to make it more fair. Like, I didn't I see anything hearing, about that. One of them's going off to Steve Cram's European record, I think. Of I keep hearing about a 1,000 meter record that the, one of them's going for. So I thought one of them was going to run a race first and he'd be tired. Like otherwise, this didn't make any sense to me. I think that I think you're riding off the chariots. They could still win. This would be a great, you know, overcoming obstacles uh, story. It's some kind of racing. It's exciting. I mean, I don't want to just shit on something as soon as I hear about it. I think it sounds like a fun idea. I'll watch it for sure. Yeah, and I think it's going to be perfect with the shutdown. Like, I'm trying to think of other stuff you could have. So it's essentially a 2,000-meter time trial, and they just add up the times. Yeah. I was trying to think of something more exciting to do, but who knows? I mean, it's like these virtual races. We used to sort of mock them, and now I think we should come up like a, with a Let's Run virtual challenge. Like, what do you guys think? Any viewers got, got any ideas? Email us. Email me, wejo at let'srun.com. But like, we should have some sort of like, I don't know, like let's run virtual race challenge that's somehow different from the average virtual race. I mean, some people are doing these like race across your state, but like somehow we should combine a bunch of shit and like rank it or something. I don't know. I'm open for ideas, but we're going to watch this thing. It's going to be better than no track and field. I don't know. You know, it'll be interesting. Like, are the cameras going to be synced up? How much of a lag is there going to be? I don't know. Did you guys watch Phil and Tiger? 
Don't you mean Tom and Peyton? Yeah, John, what, were you rooting against? How was it? This is your first time to see Tom Brady in action? When he was shanking shots left and right? Were you feeling sorry for him or glad yeah, that he was... I, I've, I think I discovered I'm a Tom Brady stan because uh, there's no way I could root against him. He won the Patriots six Super Bowls. Like, people... I can't believe there are people who feel like he's a traitor or that, you know, he owed it to New England to stay. It's kind of crazy. I think we talked about this when he first made his decision to leave the Patriots. But And then did you see... Well, then, did you see he had the shot of the day? Most PGA pros would be proud of this. He just drilled one from like 150 feet, right from the fairway, right in the hole. It was amazing. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And then on 16, I got tight again, or 17. It was a par three. And I'm like, they're coming back. And he sticks it within 12 feet of the hole. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy is so clutch. This is just classic Tom Brady. And then to Peyton Manning's credit, he put it inside of that, and Phil Mickelson put it inside of that, and Tiger was the, you know, farthest from the hole. You could have gotten fifty to one on that on DraftKings, supposedly. All right, John, admit you've never played golf before. John just said that he he holds it out from one hundred and fifty feet. Did I? I meant yards. I'm sorry. Yeah. John, have you ever played golf? I've played golf. I'm really bad. I know. I I'm not like a golf expert. I if I if. You told me I said 150 feet. I obviously, that's like a very, well, that'd probably be a chip. You wouldn't be putting 150 feet, but I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It was a great shot. Oh, great thanks action. Thanks for being honest, Robert. We have made our flaws here on letsrun.com. John, did Brady, the cart, I noticed that Manning's cart had one, at first I saw Colts. I'm like, or no, it said Broncos or something. I was like, wow. But he actually had both logos on his cart. Did Manning have any... I think it just said TB, whatever is. I think it was is, all right? just TB branding, but they can just spin that off and say, hey, T- Tampa Bay, you know, that's that's the beauty of TB12. He's now playing in Tampa Bay. Anyway, anyway it actually got me thinking, like, I guess you you can't really do athletes just playing like pickup track, really. You know, they'd just be going for a run. But like, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to see some track athletes play golf against each other, like some rivals like that. I don't know who the best people to do it would be. Well, I'm surprised during this COVID crisis, speaking of athletes doing other sports, I don't know if you consider poker to be a sports, there was that one week when Matthew Sintowicz played poker with some pros. It was broadcast online, and he lost like, I think it's like, like $25,000, right? Dollars. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't talk about that one. That'd day. be awesome. I Actually, I demand, if Centro's listening, I, I'm sure Centro's a weekly listener, I would absolutely watch like Matthew Sintowicz playing poker again, and preferably like a bunch of pro runners. Like, can we just get like... Well, I can't. I was going to say let's get the USA fifteen hundred finalists, but I know that probably like half that field would not be able to to buy in there. But like, can we get some of the our top Olympians playing in a high stakes poker game? John, John obviously doesn't know the history here. My hand is going up, baby. Get me in that game. I may not have the money they have, but I'll someone buy me and back me in that game. I'll take my chances, baby. John has no idea that Weldon once. Does won- John know this, Robert? We need to do like a twenty for twenty. It's the Let's Run 20th anniversary. We should start doing little segments on like the history of Let's Run, <laughs> key moments in Let's Run history, and this would be one of them. Let's Run was was bankrolled in the early days when Weldon won six figures in an online poker tournament. John, S- six figures, Weldon. So I will say we don't want the IRS coming after us. We don't want the IRS coming after us. No, I, I, yes, no, John. I reported on my tax return. It's amazing. Multi- you won the multiple years professional gamblers. Third place, John. Third place. I negotiated a deal at the end, though. So that really did change the fortunes of Let's Run because uh, I was, you know, a young single guy, no money. I'm a, 
hundred grand in the pocket, and Robert and I had a house together in Ithaca. We're like, all right, let's keep this website going for years. Yeah, really took off. So, did you ever consider playing the World Series of Poker, Weldon? Jonna, you can look me up. I've cashed at the World Series of Poker before. No, no. Wow, it's hard to impress somebody. Like the other day, no one knew I ran twenty eight oh six for ten k. I'm a renaissance man, John. Well, that impressed me a while ago. Wait, which all right? Which tournament did you cash in? Like, what was the format? The the main event at the, the World Series event. of Poker. You cash in the main event. What I don't year? Remember this? Wow. I don't know. There's poker databases. You can look it up. I was shocked. I have a, cu- I have a couple caches. I did not play many live tournaments. I did not play many live tournaments. I have a lot of caches for f- five figures. Not a lot, but a couple. Wow. I, I mean, I played in the Let's Run Poker Tournament in the 2016 Trials. We hosted one of those in Eugene. That was fun. But We, we didn't want to tell you, John, about his background so he could take all your money. I, I went out pretty early in <laughs> that one. Uh, Although during COVID, I, I, I played in the uh, shout-out to former Let's Run or Cornell runner Joe Walsh, Robert. Joe Walsh has some of his buddies have a poker thing. I, you know, bought in for like ten bucks and. Did All right, this is this is what I want. We need to have a Let's Run online poker classic. We need Weldon. We need Centro. Ben Rosario showed up and played at the 2016 trials. I'm sure he'd be game. And we just get a camera on everyone and they talk shit. This would be amazing. This would get us through the crisis. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right, this is a brilliant idea, guys. All right, guys. I got some other running events. I still running news. I want to talk about. And I'm going to talk about Evan Jager, Alan Webb, Nick Willis all at the same time. Evan Jager has gone to Spikes online. I think it's like the World Athletics site. He's written a piece about how he's coming back from injury, what he's doing during COVID-19. But this following quote struck me. Since the injury, I've improved every couple of weeks. And when I reflect on these past few years, I noticed the time away has changed my mentality. In 2007 and 2018, I was starting to treat track more like work, getting really, really intense. And that came from trying to be so professional, I wanted to do every little thing right. It took the enjoyment out of it a little, but I've realized I can be lighthearted and have fun at the same time as being dialed in. And I, I, I do think like a, an injury sometimes or a COVID-enforced break can help people because I do think when you get all in, you get super focused I don't know. People are like, oh, it's helping me to eat, to watch what I'm eating and to not go out. But I think I'm going to ask you guys, do you agree with me? I think you can overdo it. Do you agree? You know, and I think sometimes people think, oh, I got focused and I ran faster. You may have been running faster anyways. It may not, maybe nothing to do with, you know, you uh, getting an extra 20 minutes of sleep. And I'm not saying that being more dedicated isn't important, but I think you can take it too far. Agree or not? Of course you can. Evan admitted this. Uh, the 2016 Olympics, he, you know, when he was first becoming one of the world's best steeplers, 2015, everyone was thinking, oh, this guy, you know, he could, he could win worlds. You know, he was running eight flat and he just admitted, Hey, I, I was putting way too much pressure on myself. I was saying, this is the only thing in my life that matters. He's freaking out. And he got a talking to, well, not talking to, but he had a discussion with Pascal Dobert, the assistant coach at the Bauman track club before the Olympics. And he was just like, look, you got to relax, man. You got to just, you can't let this be the only thing that defines you in his life. And that was his attitude going into the 2016 Olympics. And he had one of the best races of his life and he won the silver medal. So I'm sure it's the case with other athletes and managing that is part of putting together a good career. Yeah. And I think we had an article about some race walker that was contemplating suicide. I mean, a lot of athletes get obsessed. They think of themselves only as their time. And I think that's really 
you know, sort of unhealthy. One of the things actually on the podcast from last week that struck me was basically Alan Webb and Ryan Hall both sort of almost admitting to like eating disorders and sort of overly focused on their weight loss. And I just think that's not healthy. But that reminds me of the podcast. I think one of the reasons why I just loved Hall, Ritz, and Webb, all three of them, is those guys were working. Not that everyone doesn't work hard, but you knew they were working really hard. The highs and the lows, you could see it in their, in, in their the emotions, you know, whether they had a great race, a bad race, you knew they were crushing themselves, killing themselves to be good. They, they, they weren't necessarily, well, I guess Ryan was a pretty smooth stride. But like when Sunto runs, it looks so effortless. And we don't ever, like when he's not running well, he just sort of doesn't race. So we don't see his lows. We don't know, like Hall, Webb, and Ritz to me remind me of like a super talented version of all those let's run lifers who want to be the best, but they don't have the talent to be it. Like these were guys that were grinding it out, trying to be it. And I, I, sometimes it's not healthy. I think you can overdo the training. Well, Robert, I think the point that... Oh, sorry. Go, go and finish your point right there. Well, no, I was just going to talk about Nick Willis. I mean, I saw something on, I guess, one of these Spates die staff. They, they have like training tip Tuesdays or something. They put some old video from Nick. I think it was from New Balance Indoor Grand Prix or something. He's just talking about his training. He's like, I've been very relaxed in my training. I do mainly just threshold 10K type endurance work. And then I just constantly doing short strides but i don't do like i don't do like lactic acid intense track stuff hardly ever he says some guys do more workouts in one year than i'll do in three or four he's like i may not have reached the same highs as alan webb but i'm much more consistent um and he reached the same i mean he's his prs are faster except for the mile and he has two olympic medals i think he was being nice nice to him. yeah yeah but um yeah i i thought it was, it was sort of an interesting thing you know, to think about is I think you can want it too bad. You can work too hard. You can be too focused. And I was sort of talking about this with my good friend, Chris Lear, college roommate, author of Running with the Buffaloes. And he brought up an interesting thing here. He said, oh, I really think for Nick, oh, we're talking also how Hall Webb and Ritzenheim are all fairly religious now. And he's like, oh, I think that the religion is, 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 has really helped Nick. Nick was not devout Christian like he is now when he came to Michigan. And Chris is like, I think when he picked it up, it may have helped him get a longer career because you're not as defined by your running. Like he's got something, he thinks there's a higher purpose, blah, blah, blah. It's not just about his times. God has a plan. Chris is like, I think that's a very reassuring thing, you know. And you know, a number of athletes have had strong faith over the years. I'm not saying that you have to have a strong faith to be a good athlete, but I, I just thought it was an interesting sort of observation from Chris Lear, who spent a lot of time with these Michigan guys. I think the point you made a little earlier, Robert, about how these guys had ups and downs, we get to see those ups and downs. That's part of their appeal. Because I remember talking to Chris Lear when I was writing my lengthy feature on Alan Webb in his 2007 season. We published that a couple of years ago. And he was like, look, People can relate to them. If you see someone like Kipchoge, you admire Kipchoge, but you can't relate to this guy. He, he looks flawless. He's basically a saint. He never runs bad. He never has a bad day. What runner never has a bad day? I mean, it's it's very, very rare. If you're a serious runner, I know there's plenty of races where I'm like, oh man, I just didn't have it today or I felt awful. And generally, pros have fewer of them than us. That's what separates us and the pros. And with Alan Webb, especially, but also, you know, Ryan Hall occasionally, they might have a bomb. 
And you could just, if you're a fan of the sport, you can say, hey, I understand that feeling. And I can't wait for him to get back on the top because then he can look like he overcame that. And maybe it's possible for me to do that as well. And that's not really a feeling. Ellie Kipchoge engenders a lot of feelings, but that's not one of them. The ability to sort of relate to him. Yeah, I thought the podcast was interesting because you'd hear them, even though they're such phenoms, even in high school, like, was it Hall got beat by Webb and he sort of was vice versa and he took off his shoes and then ran a cool down barefoot, kind of acted like a petulant high school kid. And I'm like, oh, well, I thought that was like, you know, if I had a bad race, I'd probably like throw my spikes in the field or kind of act kind of stupid, hoping to get a little attention or, you know, I don't know. Like, I just thought like bad runners did that in high school, not the very best, but like they all have their insecurities. They, they showed themselves to be human. And I don't know, like you said, with Kipchoge, maybe we don't see that. And to the Jager thing, of course you can overcook it. Like mentally, I found competing at the highest level just to be such a grind. So I think you need to take breaks when you can, at least from a mental perspective. Maybe some people can dial it in all the time, but I think those are very few and far between. And that was kind of the one thing with the Ritz. He kept going a lot longer than these other guys, and he just suffered from injuries all the time. Ritz, if you want to continue your career, start playing soccer, man. Join a pickup soccer league. Maybe there's a chance for you next year. Maybe there's a chance. Then, you know, you can be the first guy to call to rerun the Olympic marathon trials next year. Start a real controversy. Okay. One thing I want to bring up before we go, I saw this on the homepage. Robert had some article about a dog stroller or something like that. And he said, oh, I have a dog stroller myself. Like, I prefer this model. And... I thought the whole point of going on a walk with the dog is that you walk the dog or that the dog runs with you. I know you have a small dog, so maybe he, your dog can't keep up with you when you go running, Robert, but you're also not running very fast. So I, I want you to explain this whole situation. Why do you have a dog stroller and in what situations do you use it? Thank you for asking, John. Bunny, my the world's smallest French bulldog, is doing well despite her health problems. We spent thousands of dollars on her surgeries. But... Um, Bunny is tiny. Making me feel like an asshole. No. <laughs> she, she's she's 14 pounds, but um, yeah, she's, I mean, everyone knows like the old English Bulldogs, and they can't get any exercise. Bunny, Bunny is a trooper. Like if I go for an hour walk, she'll try to come with me. But my vet who has a French Bulldog says, I only take my dogs out for like 10 minutes. They can get easily hot. So m- the thought process was, well, I saw a woman with it. I didn't think oh, I'm going to go buy a dog show. I saw a woman one time run by me on the board. On the wa- I used to live on the waterfront in Baltimore. She was running them with a dog show. I said, wow. She goes, oh, it's great. Just get them on Amazon. And the thought process was, if I take the dog outside for a walk and I go for a run, that's like two 30-minute things. But if I can do it all at once, then I'm saving 30 minutes. So it was a time saver. Does Bunny like the, uh, the stroller, Robert? It was funny. The first time I took her in there, she, she seemed to love it, but she started barking. If I was going slow, she did not like it, and she would bark and make me run. Like I try to walk, she barked. But now she goes in the bottom of the child stroller. But I haven't really been pushing them. I don't really like to. I don't know. For, for a while, I was doing a few runs in there, but not so much. Okay, guys, we can go back to the top threads because there's some. There's still news coming out that we've not discussed today. Back to one of the third most popular thread. Nick Simmons is married. The king finally has a queen. Since when is Nick Simmons the king? I mean, he's great, but like, I can't ever remember him being referred to as the king, nor can I think what he would have done to earn that accomplishment. John, I don't know. Nick was great on the podcast. I don't know if he I did that. He's a six-time U.S. champ, but the king? 
Of what? He's very good at social media. I don't know if he did this or someone affiliated with him. It's just, running hey, YouTubers. Get, All right. I'll yeah, give him King that. King of running YouTubers. I guess Nick was first to get married. And then after that, number thread, first Nick Simmons. Now let's run sweetheart Leah O'Connor is married. So the steeplechase star, she got married as well. So couple wedding, COVID lockdown marriages. Congrats to everyone. Congrats to both of them. And that's kind of becoming the thing, right? People who had weddings, either in the spring or fall, they're just like, wait, like, let's just do this. We love each other. We want to get married. You know, the wedding may not happen even in the fall now. So it's sort of interesting to see what the decisions people are making. My best friend is one of my best friends is getting married this summer and was supposed to. He's postponed the wedding until next summer, like the official gathering and everything. But he's still having he's still officially getting married with just the families this year. So that's what that's how they're playing it. And then I have two more in October, which I don't really know what's going to happen at this point. All right. Here's one. Ritz set to become on-running pro group coach for $150,000 a year. Is this even it's true? Actually, okay, I was about to say, I, I've been dealing with a baby. I'm back from paternity leave. But is this true or is this just sort of a rumor? Like, they had very specific numbers on what some guy's going to make. I mean, maybe he's going to coach the team. But I found that this thread to be interesting. But So, I guess nothing formally has been announced. I thought he was still under contract with Brooks. I, I don't think he would just go from being a sponsored Brooks athlete to becoming an on-running coach and, like, matter of weeks i thought this was just some message board oh, i thought it was true why else would they start it? it seemed too specific not to be true does anyone think we have too many teams now i mean how many, how many studs do we have going around to, to fill out these teams i don't think we have too many teams i mean you're not going to get studs on every single team but it's better to have more teams than fewer okay can can any say bakaley mini documentary is out have you guys watched it yeah i saw it it wasn't it was okay. It wasn't amazing. They had the one interesting thing. He was talking like he's basically said the 2018 Amsterdam marathon when he dropped out with like a mile to go. He said he was hurt in that race. He shouldn't have been running it. And it was like the worst moment of his career. Essentially, he didn't even name the race. Like you had to use educated guesswork to know about it. So it would have been nice to hear him open up a little bit about that more. Um, and a few other things. It was, it was nice. You had some nice shots of him at home and, he had Jos Hermans over and they had like a bonfire and were cooking out and stuff. It was, it was kind of interesting to see his home, but I, I wouldn't say it was anything groundbreaking. Wait, speaking of the Ingerbritsons, this says they both broke the Norwegian 5K world record. Just the Norwegian record, not the Norwegian world record. They went out and did it recently on the roads? Yeah, it was like 1328 or 1329 for Jakob. They were running through like an industrial park in Norway. It was pretty low-key but there was a broadcast there was a race of people behind them as well i i think it was like the field was very small it wasn't a lot of people see running's going on okay but here's the thing here's the thing like that was cool but also normally i just wouldn't care about some norwegian road race like the no it's amazing how many people were like norwegian 5k road record broken i'm like this is the most contrived bullshit record i mean not that 1328 on the roads is a joke obviously it's good but no one would normally care about this time, but because it's happening during quarantine, everyone's like, Norwegian Road 5K record, let's freak out. Yeah, I don't understand why a 13-minute guy running 1320-something is something I was supposed to hype. Somebody was bashing me yet again on the message board. Every thread, somebody will bash me if, if given the opportunity. All right, guys, I think we need to get out of here soon. Walden may have one or two things, but I've come across a, a, a 2019 scientific paper. 
And there was some link, Canadian Running Magazine, they kind of annoy me because they just regurgitate like every article from social, anything that's in social media, they regurgitate and write an article. But I do find stuff by going to that Twitter account. Anyways, 2019 scientific study has figured out the best way to recover from a workout. So John, when you do a hard interval, how do you recover? Where do you put your hands? Do you put them? I was always told to put my head, my hands on my head. Yeah, behind your head. Yes. Put your hands right behind your head yep. and, you know, keep tall. And I was always told that. Some people say they've never been told that. I don't know. I was always told that. Me too. Me too. This study says that it's, your heartbeat goes down 20 beats per minute better if you just lean over and put your hands on your knees. But if you're an exercise physiologist, again, email me, Robert, at Let's Run, because some people are arguing, well, yeah, that may be the best way to get your heart rate down. But if you're actually like in between reps, you still want to keep moving to keep your blood flowing. So I don't know which is the best way, but it's shocking to me if all these years I've been doing it wrong. Speaking of which, John, I've done my first big track workout, John, in, in probably 10 years. I've gotten in. I'm a little disappointed. Mike McManus and Hoka must not be listening to the podcast. I did not get the free Hoka's, but I what I did, I did what everyone should be doing. I went to letsrun.com slash shoes, and I purchased a pair of my first carbon Fiber plate shoot it, John. I've got the Carbon X, and I got them the very first day. I did 12 by 400 on the, on, on the track. Uh, you've got the shoes that propelled Alephine Tuliamak to Olympic trials. Is that what you wore? Like yeah. I'm, I'm running way fast. I did a seven-mile run this weekend, and my seventh mile was way faster than what it normally is. So I'm, I'm feeling wait, pretty wait, good. Wait, what was the workout? And I want to guess the times. It was 12 by 400. Now, I, I have a time goal. Trying to do 5K pace. How much rest? Um, I just jogged a 200 rest. I think it took me like 130, 115. All right. I'm going to guess 145 per rep. Seven-minute pace. I, I was trying to jog them all at um, 20 flat 5K pace. That's the goal. So that's, a little, that's like what, 140 or something? No, like 135. Oh, okay. Did you, did you, were you hitting them? Yeah, I, was, I thought they were kind of hard after three, but then I crushed out 12. Can we stop this discussion, Robert? Like when we were like 25 in our prime and competing, if people heard this, they'd be embarrassed. Like, no, no. like You can't even imagine like slow runs were at seven-minute pace. Please, we have to stop this. Keep this. I mean, with the coaching side about to, to launch, again, we have an image to maintain. No, I, I forgot. We'll reach the masses and more people will come on. But like high schoolers, you know, we got the coaching thing coming out. You guys want to train with the best this summer. Join on. Trust me, you'll be training a lot harder than this. Rojo was the coach at Cornell. I ran 28 minutes. My high school coach said, like, I sucked in high school. And he's like, you can be really good. And I was. So long-term path to success. And when you're over 40, hopefully you'll be running faster than us. Hey, but this is a lesson. Robert is running within himself. He's not trying to do something he can't do. He's taking it slow and smart. Walden probably hasn't seen this. I actually feel like I'm in pretty good shape. I was shocked. I put up just put it up this morning. What AJ Wilson is doing during COVID? Guess how fast or how slow AJ runs her three mile tempos in. I forgot how slow or the lack of fitness. Oh, I shouldn't say this right. I had a couple guys at Cornell that were just under two, and I was like, "How slow do they run their tempo runs?" Well, I saw this on the homepage, so I'm not well. Well, I saw six minutes actually. That made me feel better because I would like to think I could get to doing that. Right? Yeah, I would like to think I could eventually. Run. I mean, I guess I'm trying to go for five k in twenty minutes as a race. She's doing three miles in under eighteen minutes as her goal. So I immediately texted one of my eight hundred meter runners at Cornell. I actually called John Kelly. John said, "Oh, that's about right." For he said it could vary a lot based on their speed ability, but. 
Okay, yeah. real quickly, guys. Another Mary Kane, Killian Jordan, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Usain Bolt, Michael Phillips, Race a Mile. It's another top shred of this week. Who wins? Well, I well, think it's this is Killian obvious. Jordan or Mary Kane, right? Well, I don't know how. What are Killian's PRs for shorter distances? I assume he'd win, right? I assume Killian Jordan would kill Mary Kane. The question to me is, I, I think people are vastly underestimating what LeBron James could do. I think he might be able to beat Mary Kane. Oh, well, Robert, get out of here. No. Come on. What? No. In a mile? Have you trained for it? He's six eight, like two hundred and sixty or two hundred and seventy pounds, Robert. He's not oh, gonna right. Never mind, never mind. That's he's too big. We need to again, we need to have my buddy Chris Lear on the phone. Chris Lear knows he's he knows what some of these NBA guys can do for eight hundred and miles. He has a buddy that saw a guy do a sick time trial. What I'm gonna need more details than that. Sick time trial, what time? I don't Who know, John. I don't know the details. You need I mean, Mary Kane was a four thirty miler. Yeah, no, the the idea that LeBron could beat Mary Kane in a mile is ludicrous, but I think LeBron versus Bolt is more interesting. I think Bolt would win. Bolt would probably have his way with them because he's just smaller. But LeBron certainly has run more lifetime miles than Usain Bolt. Oh, I think LeBron would kill Bolt. Bolt looks fat. Did you see him running in Tokyo? My God, LeBron's in much better fate. I think that wouldn't even be close. All right, this is all right. That, that'll be probably that's our two challenges. We got to get. Let's run poker tournament, and we got to get LeBron and Usain Bolt to race each other in a mile. I'm sure the second one will be pretty easy, right? Hey, they're bored, you know. Especially they cancel that NBA season. We'll get that to happen. No, no questions asked. All right, guys, we do need a deleted thread of the race, thread of the week, and this is also related to another thread. First of all, I guess Strava made some changes. Not a big Strava guys, but Strava has sold its soul. So let's run take on Strava. Bring back the free Strava with the segments. No, because I think Let's Run should be going towards the pay model. Giving everything away from free is a terrible business model. But guys, I'm reading a thread from, just real quick, about the NBA. There was a thread on Let's Run from seven years ago. How fast could the fastest NBA player run a mile? My friend doesn't think anyone would run faster than 450. This person says, I think someone could break 430. And then the comparison was, well, let's look at what the athletes can do. Ashton Eaton can run like a 414. But one of the first posts, I used to work for a D1 college basketball team. In our preseason conditioning, we had a couple guys break five every year in the mile with no prior running experience. I'm sure most of the point guards will be able to run close to five minutes or under in the NBA. I bet, I don't know if someone, could someone break 430? 430 is, I don't think, I don't think 430. I don't think they break 430, but I think you'd see someone, maybe someone in the 430s. I think for the top, the fastest NBA point guard. So deleted thread of the week, Brojo's, why not put on a road race? First of all, I don't know why that thread will get deleted, but I think this guy made it political and says, you know, we're not against the liberal lockdown, all this stuff. But hey, I'm all for, I said, am I going to actually have to race if I say this? Like the first road race in Connecticut, I'll be there and do it. But I'm all for if when the time comes to being a road race, and I think some people are going to need to be out there and show this can work, and I'll be one of them. Rojo's got a 5K time. He's is trying Rojo, to break, break. Is he faster than me right now? This is ne- this hasn't happened in 30 years. Like, this could be shocking because, I, I like, I, I don't know. I, I, I might have to go train right now. No, we got to do it's this an- because this will bring out the best in both of you. Weldon will have to make sure he's in shape to hold off Robert and not, you know, d- and defend his honor. 
and Robert, for the carrot of chasing and beating Weldon is almost as big as this carrot of breaking 20 minutes. I, I think this would be a great idea. I mean, I'm nowhere near 20 minutes for 5K. That's all I can say. For a race? I'm not well, near either. I run with you and you run in the set. Well, I haven't run with you for a while, but usually you can run somewhere in the seven minute range per mile. I feel like you could that's break. It's not 20 minutes, John. I, but if that's not, we weren't racing. We were just doing a normal run. I can do three miles at 630. I don't know. I, I, my, I set a record. Uh, I have a GPS watch I've been trying out. I'm going to start killing it on these like product reviews. I'm going to do GPS. I guess I'll have the baby stroller soon. I'm going to be like the guy. I'm going to be like the DC Rainmaker of whatever. And it said, like, you set a new mile record. I, I will not tell you what it said. I will. I cannot t- <laughs> tell you. And I was running hard for two miles. But the good news is, though, I dropped one of my dogs. I mean, I have a Vishla dog. And I, she, it's starting to get hot. She was dragging. I was like, what's going on? So I, I was trying to run hard all the way home. It was 2.9 mile loop. And I noticed her kind of starting to labor, like, 1.3 miles. So I was like, okay, I'm going to cut this short at two miles. So. Maybe the dogs weren't holding me back. All right, guys. Well, I think this was uh, this was a fun one. Had a lot of uh, interesting discussions. Maybe next week you guys will be able to memorize more than one NCAA cross country champion. Uh, but this this was good. I, I enjoyed it, and uh, we'll have more good stuff for you guys next week. And we apologize to those of you who think we dragged on a little bit at the end here. But I, as a new time, as a dad of a two year old, I know Weldon's probably. He's got the wife is letting him work right now, so I'm like, wow. The longer we go on, the more he can take a break. I'm sure he loves his daughter, but just a few extra minutes of track talk.